0: This is Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. Our program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. And now, here's today's program. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer.
1: Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.
0: And hey, we are into the new year already. But of course, as Catholics, we can still say Merry Christmas for a while yet. So uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody listening. And as people might be aware, we've been trying to incorporate a little prayer with each of the programs that we do here on Catholic Radio. So we thought, well, there's got to be a prayer for the new year somewhere.
1: Yeah. So I, I found a nice little prayer, and we're going to start this show off in prayer um, for the new year. So join me in your car and in your home as we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, thank you for a new beginning. What an incredible day this is with the fresh year's potential stretched out before me. I want to be found faithful this in this new year and each and every opportunity you bring me. Thank you, Lord, for these new beginnings that we have. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, it's also January is also Respect Life Month, and today's episode of Faith in Action is called Promoting a Culture of Life, a Physician's Perspective, and joining us today is local pro-life surgeon, Dr. Stephen O'Neill, who's going to share with us his medical expertise of why abortion is a tragedy and why conscience protections are so important, and he's actually joining us in studio, which is really great, so uh, welcome to Faith in Action, Dr. O'Neill.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Well, we were chatting before we got started here. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about your background um, as a medical professional. You're a surgeon. What type of surgeon are you?
2: I'm a general surgeon. That means an abdominal surgeon. I received my medical degree at Northwestern University of Chicago, and then my general surgery residency training was at Loyola University, also of Chicago. And then I did a fellowship in hepatobiliary and liver transplant surgery at the University of Toronto.
1: Now, as soon as you said abdominal surgery, you know, it's the new year and everyone's wanting to lose weight. So I'm sure everyone in our audience, was, as I was thinking, you know, I could really use a tummy tuck, you know, especially after the holidays. All right. I'm sorry. I digress. I, I had to say that. But we're, we're actually talking about um, pro-life issues. And I understand that you are a member of the Indiana Medical, Catholic Medical Association. What What's that organization and... Um, why are you involved in that?
2: Well, the Catholic Medical Association is a nationwide organization of like-minded uh, Catholic physicians who join together to share information and rally support with regards to pro-life and other Catholic issues. I'm a member of the Indiana branch, and I joined that in order to be, more formalize my involvement in the pro-life cause.
0: Now, do you practice here in the Indianapolis area?
2: Yes, I practice on the south side.
1: So what is your home parish? And also, are you? did you grow up in Indianapolis?
2: No, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And we moved here about 20 years ago and are parishioners at Immaculate Heart of Mary.
1: Oh, okay. So you work on the south side, but you um, worship uh, at Immaculate Heart, which is on the near north side of Indianapolis. I love that parish. Okay, I want to ask you, how did you become a pro-life Catholic, I guess.
2: Well, back in the late 70s and early 80s, my parents would take the six of us uh, to peacefully protest outside a local abortion clinic. And we would walk back and forth in prayer, much as we do now 45 years later. Um, And at that time, I would see people coming into this windowless, stark building. And drive to the back, uh, a young woman uh, with sometimes another woman or a young man would get out of their car and walk into the building. And at the time, I was in grade school and early high school, and I knew what was going on inside from a theoretical standpoint, but it really didn't sink into me. Years later, I was up on my third year in medical school uh, obstetrics, rotation for delivering babies and the very first day of that rotation I walked into the operating room area and on a whiteboard was the schedule for surgeries that day and a couple of the rooms were c-sections where the baby was delivered and one of the rooms was listed as D and E and I didn't know what that meant at that time and that means dilation and extraction or evacuation And that's a late-term abortion. So at that time, I realized what was going on inside that building many years before when I was a kid. But now it was a stark indication of what was actually happening. The people who were being delivered by C-section were going home in car seats. Those that were delivered after being killed by D and E we're leaving in biohazard bags.
1: That is just that is absolutely awful. And you know, when I was reading your essay where you talk about this that you wrote um, recently, um, and I I was just kind of blown away because we had heard the similar story from Dr. Robinson, who was one of the founders of Forty Days for Life. Um, I, um, out of Texas and he shared a very similar story about on one way on one room or one side of the hall you had deliveries and then the other side of the hall you had you know basically murder abortions so it was just kind of it kind of struck him as well. Uh, If you're joining us right now, we're talking with Dr. Stephen O'Neill. He is a pro-life surgeon here in the Indianapolis area and an Indianapolis, um, an Indiana Medical, Catholic Medical Association member. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about conscience protections. Um, What are they and have they changed or talk about that?
2: Well, conscience protections, Uh, First of all, our conscience is something that each of us deeply hold within us and makes us an individual to a great extent. It's what directs our actions on a daily basis as to what is right and what is wrong. Within our Constitution, the very first clause of the First Amendment is to protect the uh, right of religious freedom or religious expression. And that is where our conscience protections are derived in this country. And then they're um, brought out more in various laws derived from that and and other institutions. So it's a foundation within our country. And they allow us to practice or act in ways that we feel uh, are morally acceptable. They are important because, especially in medicine, that if we don't have conscious, conscience protections, then healthcare providers would likely be forced into doing things that they deeply hold as being wrong, and as would the uh, healthcare institutions that may be affiliated with a certain religion. Mm. That would cause individuals to avoid certain professions and also, uh, c- for instance, Catholic institutions, to potentially go out of business. Mm-hmm. And that would have a significant effect on the health care provision to our society.
0: Now, uh, other than abortion, does the uh, conscience uh, factor I- into other fields of medicine as well, or is that strictly a pro-life thing?
2: Yes, it's not just um Abortion, but it's also with regards to physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia, which are now starting to creep into our country. Uh, Physician-assisted suicide is legal now in 10 states and the District of Columbia, whereas physician-assisted suicide and euthanasia have been going on in some of the uh, um, European countries for several years now. So this affects not just the beginning of life, but also the end of life.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking back um, to your parents and what kind of an impact they had on you. Was this something that obviously you went to the abortion mills and prayed as a family? I I just can't imagine like what a, what a wonderful expression of your Catholic faith to go there and pray. It, was that the main thing that impacted you? Would you say, or did your parents ever talk about this issue, it, you know, around the kitchen table? Or I'm curious.
2: Well, uh, my parents, specifically my mom, uh, would talk about uh, our the obligation that we all have to look after the most vulnerable, and this was w- one very palpable way that they instilled this in us, to go out there on Saturday mornings, sometimes to the abusive catcalls of cars driving by, just like nowadays, Mm -hmm. and and, uh, fight for the most vulnerable, those that don't have the right to speak, the right to vote, the right to protest.
0: Now, was there, as you were going through uh, medical school and internships and that sort of thing, was there pressure in those areas to oh, come on, it's just an operation for you to participate? or?
2: Well, I finished medical school 30 years ago, and at that time, there was not pressure to do that. There was some implied, oh, you should just do it and that sort of thing. But everyone was able to avoid that mm-hmm. if they felt the need to do so. Um, now, things are drifting more and more both here in the States and especially up in Canada, where even prospective medical students are being screened mm. up there and uh, find it difficult sometimes if they have obvious pro-life views to be admitted to medical Ooh. school. Wow. And people down here are counseled to sort of downplay those sort of things on social media, etc., mm-hmm. while they are applying to medical school, because wow. you never really do know mm-hmm. what's going to keep you out, wow,
0: or
1: wow. or cancel you before you even get out the gate, you know.
2: Absolutely, that's why it's so important to have these conscience protections um, really strongly enforced uh, to prevent. The keeping out of these people who have pro-life views.
1: I'm curious: are there a lot of Catholic doctors that um, are very devout to their faith, or do you know about that in terms of, like, in Indiana or around the country?
2: Well, um, my experience would be anecdotal Mm -hmm. with regards to around here. There's very devout Catholic and non-Catholic. Physicians who are very pro-life, mm-hmm. based on the science that is behind the pro-life movement. And so it's not necessarily a Catholic issue or a non-Catholic issue. Um,
1: That's a good in, point.
2: In in our state, I think we tend to be more pro-life overall mm-hmm. compared to some other states, such as California and mm-hmm. New York.
0: That, that just seems odd, because in the medical profession, there are specialties of all kinds, and nobody... Insists that a podiatrist take out tonsils, or or vice versa, and and yet when it comes to abortion, there's those that say, "Well, everybody's got to do those. Everybody's got to jump on board there." That's that's different, and that just doesn't quite make sense to me. But
1: yeah, we could go on and on about how um, abortion gets kind of special treatment in a sense of not as regulated as you know maybe having a mole removed or you know whatever as, as. you know, comes to, uh, what's the uh, informed consent, you know? Well, exactly.
2: For instance, in an operation that I do quite frequently, a gallbladder surgery, Mm -hmm. no one is ever trying to get me to hide the different (laughs) complications or what is going on with the gallbladder. We all get an ultrasound on our patients to make sure we're doing the appropriate surgery and those sort of things. And yet when it comes to abortion, the mindset is to, Diminish the amount of information that actually is given to a patient um, so she does not really know what's going on. Because mm-hmm. if told what is actually going on, many people change their minds, and that's not, uh, that's not- to the benefit of the abortion industry. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, and it's not even informed consent. <laughs> All right, but we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Stephen O'Neill about building a culture of life and his perspective as a surgeon. So stay tuned for more Faith in Action.
3: The hands of faith are raised to heaven, even as they go about building in charity, a city based on relationships in which the love of God is laid as the foundation. These words from the first encyclical by Pope Francis explain the motivation for Christian charity. We help our neighbor because we love our neighbor and this love is a special expression of our faith in God. As Pope Francis says in the light of faith, faith is truly a good for everyone. It helps build our societies in such a way that they can journey towards a future of hope. The Knights of Columbus takes these words to heart, bringing help where it's needed most. Whether they are donating blood, stocking a food pantry, delivering a wheelchair to a homebound person, or building a new home with Habitat for Humanity, Knights are guided by a faith that leads to action. The 1.8 million members of the Knights of Columbus provided a record $167 million to charity and logged 70 million volunteer hours. To learn more about our faith in action, visit KofC.org.
1: You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget air Jim Ganley and I are in the studio, and we're talking with our guest, Dr. Stephen O'Neill. He is a pro-life surgeon here practicing in Indianapolis, and he is um, also a member of the Indiana Catholic Medical Association. And we're talking about um, kind of his persec- perspective as a Catholic pro-life um, surgeon as a medical person. And we were joking um, over the break uh, when we were off air about – Let's talk about the science. <laughs> and that,
0: that's popular these days.
1: Yeah, and I mean well, and and or follow the science. And and science has changed what we know about the baby um has changed so much since abortion was legalized in the you know early nineteen seventies. Um so talk a little bit about the science. Um and, and I know that you also um think it's a good idea to approach um, not necessarily from a Catholic perspective why abortion is um, should not be legal, but more from a maybe even a secular and just science perspective. So talk about why abortion should be legal, just from a or illegal, excuse me, from a uh, maybe a science perspective.
2: Yes, I think um, although my Catholic faith drives much of what I decide to do. And in my life, I think from a physician's perspective and from someone who's arguing a pro life approach, it's much better to approach it from a scientific perspective because within our country um, we have people of many different faiths or no faiths at all. And in order to reach the most number of people, we can do this. And I think it's important to do it from a scientific perspective because this shows the humanity of the baby uh, back when Roe uh, v. Wade was decided in 1973, ultrasounds at that time were very grainy images. You could maybe tell that something was moving in there, but it did not really show a true picture of the individual inside the uterus um, since then we're up to now 4d ultrasounds uh with movement and uh, you, it almost looks like a home video mm-hmm. of the fetus it's so good and so the science has uh progressed during that sort of uh that period of time almost 50 years now and during which time however our discussion has really not changed that much. So from a a physician's perspective, we need to look at the evidence of this individual inside. We need to look at the fact that the heart is beating by six weeks um, of fetal life, that by 15 weeks, the number in the Dobbs case uh, recently argued in front of the Supreme Court, um, the fetus can feel pain The baby shows a preference for left or right hand with regards to sucking the thumb. Um, The baby also shows preference for taste. If the mom has had a sweet meal or injection versus sour, the baby will drink more or less of amniotic fluid. Um, And so we we see all of this science that has progressed during this time. And I think this is the main reason why the pro-life side Uh, our side is gaining ground with regards to this because we are showing the true humanity of the individual inside from a scientific perspective. 96% of embryologists agree that life begins at conception. This is around the same number that people often quote with regards to man-made climate change. Mm. And so if we're gonna go with that number (laughs) for climate change, then why would we ignore this number from for the uh, actual beginning of a human life?
1: And you'd mentioned that you actually went and prayed before the Supreme Court recently when that Dodds case was being, um, Dobbs case was being decided Talk about that experience, and you, you saw lots of different people there that were unified in their call to make Roe v. Wade illegal. But not Catholic. Right.
0: Right, it was
2: very interesting. I went there to to as a show of support and to go with other physicians um, who are pro-life, uh, such as I am. And what I found there, uh, a lot of people think the pro-life side is... Uh, merely a bunch of Catholics or evangelicals or certainly religious-based. But what I found in the speakers and the people that I interacted with were a lot of people who got up and spoke and said, I am an atheist for life. And they founded their arguments based on the science as well. And they said, although I do not have a specific religion, I don't even believe in God, they said. Um, I see that this is obvious, that life begins at conception. So that was very heartening to see that the word is spreading, and as people are more attuned to the scientific facts that we use based on the opinions or the ideology which the pro-choice side uses, I think that's where we're gaining ground. And I think that's why the Supreme Court decided to take up this case again now because things have changed over the last 48 years
1: there's absolutely no question about that and and one thing that that you had mentioned um, in in previous conversations that you and I've had either via email or just here in this interview you you believe that it's really up to physicians to kind of lead this um, I guess courageous charge and saying hey this is a life
2: yes I think it, it's important it, with regards to the beginning of life that mm-hmm. we're focusing on now and the end of life with regards to physician assisted suicide and euthanasia. There's no physician assisted suicide without physician. Right. There's no abortion without physician. So if physicians start to push back based on what they know and they've learned in medical school and beyond, that perhaps they could be the leaders, that we could be the leaders. Um, in this pro-life cause.
1: And I think you mentioned also in, in one of your, your essay that you wrote for the um, Lazier Institute um, organization that it's easy for physicians to just go along and get along and not say anything. What What's going to make physicians have courage, I guess? Not to say that they all don't, but what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think most... Do, mm-hmm. but I think it's human nature to not put yourself out there when the perceived um, swell within society is moving in one direction. Uh, it's interesting to know that only ten percent or less of obstetricians actually participate in abortions.
1: Wow, that's So
2: low. 90% plus do not participate in abortions. And so there are a lot of people out there who are physicians, who are doing things um, consistent with an ethic of life.
0: Now, one thing that just comes to mind is, I believe you call it the Hippocratic yeah, oath Yeah, I was thinking of that. to do no harm. And isn't that part of the whole... Being of a physician is to do no harm. And how do you square that with terminating a small life?
2: Well, in the Hippocratic Oath, uh, there is a specific prohibi- prohibition against abortion. Mm. And there's also a specific prohibition against giving a lethal medicine directly to a person or for them to take on their own. Oh. So that would cover abortion and physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia now that oath is thousands of years old that is no longer used in most medical schools Mm. and those um issues even in the updated of uh, hippocratic oath um steer clear of prohibiting abortion or physician-assisted suicide
1: so for our listeners we have about three or four minutes left um what would you say to encourage our listeners and how can they be more pro life? What can they do? Um, I'm encouraged that, you know, you were out there praying as a young person with your parents, with your mom and your brothers, your family. And then even recently you were out praying. Um, What can our listeners do in addition to praying?
2: I think in addition to that, uh, people can get involved with protests, uh, peaceful protests, at abortion clinics they can volunteer or donate to pregnancy help centers they can act in every way within their life intentionally in a way that is pro-life even if it has nothing to do with abortion or physician or these these topics that we're talking about about helping the neighbor across the street about showing respect for an elderly person Um, we can do these things within our life and also, it's important to speak up. Um, it's important, as important now as ever, to speak up and to be unabashedly pro-life. Um, in our culture nowadays, uh, people are shying away from saying anything that is out of the quote mainstream, and yet we need to speak up and be heard.
1: It's so true. The more that the more that we. Um the more that cancel culture is out there, the more we need to speak out. You know, um, you have a couple resources that you wanted to point people to in terms of getting some um, more good information on these topics.
2: Yes, there's two websites. One is liveaction.org, and this explains um, abortion procedures, and it also explains uh, fetal development um, and very easy-to-understand ways that are also uh, in many ways appropriate for children to see but you should act, you should look at it before showing it to a child obviously um, and this gets information out there about what actually occurs during this procedure and during fetal development and there's also uh, the Charlotte Lozier LOZIER institute. Dot, or excuse me it's Lozierinstitute.org Um, which gives a lot of academic-oriented type papers with regards to statistics and information that can be used.
1: So what is, we just have about a minute left, how has being involved in the pro-life movement as a physician, as a surgeon, how has that impacted your faith, your Catholic faith?
2: I think being more intentional towards what I am doing within the pro-life movement has further founded the fact that we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and that every individual is unrepeatable.
1: Wow, that's so true. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Stephen O'Neill, pro-life surgeon here in the Indianapolis area. Thanks so much for being our guest today. It's been wonderful to have you.
0: Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Faith in Action, the program that looks at how everyday people put their faith into action in their everyday lives. This program is underwritten in part by the Indiana State Knights of Columbus. If you have suggestions for topics or guests for this program, contact Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org or call us at 317 870